Hello and welcome to Queerly Ever, Ever After. We're your hosts. I'm Vali. I use they them pronouns. I'm Ria. I use any pronouns. And today we're going to talk about the book Memory of, of Light. Light by Ruth Vanita. Summary time? Uh, summary time. But summary time. That, some trigger warnings. Oh, right. Okay. So this book is actually pretty light on the trigger warnings, which feels very nice. Um, yeah. So warning for colorism, the British. The British. Yeah, the British <laughs> colonization of India. Mentions of violence, including beheadings, death in a pandemic. I know that's a big one right now. Um, and then there's just kind of death due to, you know, heart conditions and all of that. Yeah, death due to disease. I don't think there's homophobia. There's not homophobia. It's very nice. Yeah, I think um, there's, there's like... no transphobia either. Yeah, either. That's, there wow. There is, however, colorism. Colorism. Oh my and god. fat phobia. Some fat phobia. Yeah, some fat phobia. Oh, and... alcoholism alcoholism yes that's a big one yes. guys yeah that's a big one um and like a mention of suicide oh yeah that too um i think there's like for drug use they mention a hookah in one yeah sentence um, and then that's it yeah um yeah and at the end, it's just like general death. Yeah, just a lot of death dies. Yeah. Yeah. Which Not in a barrier <laughs> gaze type, as in everyone's yeah. old type. I think we could just replace barrier gaze at this point with a Destiel. <laughs> Don't hurt me like this. Also, not <laughs> us outing ourselves to the 23 listeners of this podcast that were Destiel fans. Yeah, I mean, we literally already have supernatural spoilers, but also 23 listeners. Okay. Yeah, according to Anchor, I think at least nine of those are me because I just kept listening to our trailer over and over because <laughs> I couldn't believe that it was actually a thing. So, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of um, summary, then, basically revolves around the life of... Yeah, I don't actually know her name. She... It, it, the book is told in the first person. It's so confusing. I'm sorry. I, I have to be honest. I did not like this book. It, her name starts with an N, right? Oh, Nadira? No, that's no, her best that's her friend. friend. Nafis? Yes, her name is Nafis. Okay. I, I think. Let me check. Yes, I think her name so, is Nafis. Yeah. I don't think yeah. Nafis is her actual name. I think Nafis is a nickname. But for all intents and purposes, we're going to go with Nafis. I think we should start with just a general overview of characters because there's so should many. Should we talk about what this book is about, though? 
let's start with the characters and then we can go from there. <laughs> so Malfeas is the main character. Um, and then Chapla is a love interest from love Kashir. Interest, uh, Kashi. And she's also Kashi. a dancer. So this whole book takes place within the um the fifteen the fifteen hundreds the seventeen hundreds, um, in and the British Raj, just, India. Yeah, and it talks about the life of poets, basically. Like at the beginning, poets I thought this and was dancers and like court oh, yeah. entertainers, basically. They're kind of on a high level too. Yeah, and they're all yeah. basically in Delhi at the time, working for the Nawab. Hmm. We're, we're gonna sound very Indian this whole podcast, guys. We're redeeming ourselves. No, this this whole book made me feel white. <laughs> I read so many names just reading them out loud in the English name, and I'm like, what's Sundar? Sundar? <laughs> it was bad. Um, and then, so Ami in the book is Nafis's mom. And... Um... I gotta be honest, this is just very confusing in terms of characters. Dada is her nurse, and then there's this other person. Nadira is her best friend, and Nadira then is her best friend. Champ- Ma- Champla? Matan- uh, Matanapa is the person who runs the other. Basically, they live in like houses with other dancers. Um, Matanapa runs one, and Nafis's mom. Um, Ami runs the other. So, um, yeah. There's a lot of male poets, too. There's a lot of of male poets who we probably won't mention by name because I don't remember their names. It's really interesting, though, because I think the author actually based this off of real poets and verses. Oh, she did. Which, okay, I gotta be honest. I was like, okay, the book's all right. Then I got to the end where she listed all of the characters and how they were actual people. I'm like, okay, okay. (laughs) But yeah. It's like one of those Dear Dear America books, if you guys have read those, where everyone around them is real, but the actual main character isn't. Uh, Is that like the American Girl doll thing? No, it's those diaries. You've never read a Dear America? No, so they were basically like diaries set in historical time periods, um, and the diaries were diaries were fake, and they were written by like teenagers living in that time period. Come on, you've never read a Dear America. I've read all of them. I was obsessed Nerd. with them. Anyways, yeah. Um. So yeah, Chapla, like we said, is the love interest. Champa is, which was very interesting for me because Champu in my language means kill so that was that was a time <laughs> um so yeah uh champa is uh chapla's best friend slash rebound it's it's confusing yeah wait who is and then isn't there some mariam 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 is uh nafis's rebound she's not that important but like a half rebound half rebound <laughs> it's like a one night stand deal it was barely, they didn't even get, like, past, yeah. what? Yeah, they, they talked. There was Once. some tension implied. Yeah. <laughs> Azizan is, um. She's another dancer, right? No, she's Nadira's sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um. 
and then Bakshi, which I think is Matanapa's either lead dancer or daughter. Maybe both. I think both. Like we said, this book is very confusing. I'm just going to preface this by saying if you don't have a full grasp of like Indian culture and words, there's a this, you're not going to get this book. Like this there's a reason this book like, was published in India only. Like it's a book for Indians. Like it had translations for some of the poems and verses, but during random parts a character would just say something in Hindi. And um, unless you know, like what yeah. those are, you're not gonna get it. It some of them did not even sound Indian to me, and I'm Indian, so <laughs> it's because it's in English. I've heard Hindi, but oh I've wait, English? Written... No, it's written using English, like Latin letters. So it's really weird because I've, I've heard seen... it, but I've never yeah. seen it written in in like an English phonetic style. You know what I mean? Well, more of, if it was just pure Hindi, I will, that's not really, because no one speaks yeah. pure Hindi anymore. I, I did True. not get any of that. No did this speak, author, yeah. yeah, did this author also do that thing where they like, never mind. Anyways. Anyway. Um, yeah. Like, like right. literally on page 21, someone says, are, are, what happened, Bidya? And I'm like, is this Indian culture? <laughs> Have I peaked? I felt so proud when I understood something. Right? <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Like I was reading the the poems in Hindi, like piecing together wor- the words, and then I read the English translations, and I was like, "Well, I got three of those words correct." I'm yeah, I didn't myself. even try for the verses, but yeah. Uh, so yeah. basically, the timeline of this book is confusing with a capital C. But from oh my what God. I can gather, the first chapter takes place when um, uh, Nafis's friend, who's a poet comes to visit her um and they like talk about his you mean charad we forgot about no not charad the other one the one who married uh chapla in the end yeah it's it's very confusing hold up let me find the exact page to be honest, I didn't even notice that Chapla got married. I just, like, like 30 pages later, I was just like, oh, she wants a child? When did she get married? Yeah. So, so page, yeah, that's... So that one. And they're talking about it. So, Mandan... What is it? Yeah. Mandan mm-hmm. is the guy who married her. Um... And basically, they're talking about her and how she ran away to Kashi after a while. And that's chapter one. And then chapter two starts a random jump back in time by 30 years, as you learn at the end of the book. Um, and there's no real... Like, there's... you don't understand that there's been a jump back in time until about four pages in. Yeah, this entire book sometimes feels like a run-on sentence and how it's organized exactly like it went from her being what 40 maybe early 50s to like 16 16 it was crazy it was such yeah 
like and then it has random flashbacks and the thing is i don't even know the characters yet from the flashbacks exactly. the flash forwards the so i'm like what's going on the first 20 pages introduces at least two characters a page it's kind of a lot exactly no they introduce so, like yeah. at least five characters in one page and i was and you I've, know, though, I've read no. a couple reviews that say that that's a real issue with this book, and I, I, I have to agree. Like, the pacing is uh, confusing with the int- yeah. and the introduction and all that. So, just one thing you guys should know before we go forward. Um, so, during the 1700s, the British had colonized India, and basically they ruled through smaller kings. So some even earlier history, um, India had been, India was like a nation ruled by like small princes and kingdoms. Other kind than, of I like think, feudalism yeah, a bit. Yeah. Other than Chandragupta Maurya, no one had ever united India. And even then he didn't unite it completely. So it's always been like a general area that spoke like similar languages and had similar cultures and foods, but there were like different kingdoms and countries and states and stuff. India, so, it feels more like a bunch of tiny states put together. Like it's more yeah. diverse than American states. Exactly. Um, so- Actually, this book is interesting because like you have so many people from so many different places coming in and it's noted like how different the words are, the languages, even though you're still in India. Exactly. So in uh, 1526, Babur, who was a Mughal uh, king from, God, where? The, the Middle East, I'm going to say, because I don't remember the specific location. Um, he came and conquered um, and established the Mughal Empire in India. So basically, this, cre- this started the great... Uh, muslim hindu conflict in india because um up until that point india had really been like a hindu nation and the mughal rulers were muslim so it just started literally centuries of religious conflict that i'm not gonna get into because i think it's idiotic (laughs) and i will get angry just coexist people that's all i'm gonna say like i get that there's centuries of tension but if everyone's like, well, he did this to me, so I'm going to do it back. You sound like five-year-olds, not adults. Get your Exactly. It's really dumb, too, because that still exists today. Like, all of exactly. that, like, hate for no reason. Like, at this point, there's no reason. It's literally 500 years old. <laughs> anyway. But, yeah. So, um, uh, so, so this- the middle part of the book takes place against the backdrop of King George III's 50th birthday. I'd like to mention that after looking at King George, I did not know that this book had like a thing at the end that said like what year everything went down or something. And so I Googled, oh, King George, maybe I can get a timeline to which Google pops up like seven King Georges. Oh, it's, it's the so, third. It's the third. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Actually, no, I think it might be the second. Hold up. Let me look. I mean, it's at the end. Yeah. Yeah, Lazy. You know, but like, why is George the only viable name here is my better question. King George? Yeah, why? Traditional? Mm. Anyways. Okay. So, 
to be honest let's go to a history of jubilees (laughs) the book honestly is interesting because well not really interesting but it like you have a brief thing from the future at the beginning very brief brief it randomly goes back 30 years and then you basically just have the main character falling in love with her love interest you get like maybe a year of passion and then the yeah. rest of the book is depressing i'm okay. gonna be honest here so king george the second um lived from 1727 to 1760 correct me if i'm wrong that's not 50 years right that's like See- 1727 to 1760. It's definitely King George III, though. It is? Because at the at the table of contents at the end, for Europeans, okay. it says George III. Okay, good. I got it right. Okay, so... um, the So that was... It took place in 1809 then, right? Mm, yeah, George was born in 1738, so taking into account... Yeah, this book is definitely, like actually mid to late 1700s 1700s okay oh the beginning of the 50th year of his reign is in 1809 i don't like the <laughs> timeline here is very unclear because they say his yeah. jubilee and the jubilee would be the year of his reign rather than his actual birthday like i can tell a lot of work has been done in like combining all these historical figures and the whole like dates and the verses taken from historical accounts but it just comes off as confusing and a bit jumbled. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, basically, at that time, the British, like I said, were ruling through these small kings and princes. Um, so there's two types. There's the Rajas, who are the Rajputs from Rajasthan. Very easy to rem- remember, the three R's. Um, and they're the Hindu, quote-unquote, princes um this is what you think of when you think of indian kings you know honor swords nobility elephants etc 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 so these are the rajputs and then there's also the nawabs which are smaller um muslim kings because the british had basically dismantled the mughal empire by this point and replaced it with these smaller, like, almost puppet kings that would pay tribute to them. Fun times. We love colonization. I hate the British. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's basically the situation here. And then there's still people who rebel and fight back, like princes. Um, this is like, there's constantly rebellions, but the British are usually able to pull it down. Through, due to their superior weaponry, specifically guns. Like, the Rajputs have guns too, but they don't have access to as much gunpowder. It's actually quite a fascinating, like, period of history to look at. Um, so read about it if you have time. At least, like, skim through the Wikipedia page so you'll actually understand yeah. things. Yeah, this book, it isn't really a cold read kind of book. If yeah, you're no. not Indian and like you don't have know to the do a little bit of research, yeah. Um, but um, if we want to go into the actual story itself, yeah. So basically, it starts like we said, 
They're having a conversation, then it jumps back magically 30 years. Um, and basically, Nadira is, or no, Nafis is living her life. 16. 16, living her best life. And, and then she meets some girl in a red sari? Yeah, so she's at this, like, religious ceremony, um, and she meets Chapla, and she literally falls in love at first sight. It's kind of I gotta sweet. be honest, the prose in this book was really good, like, the author, 10 out of 10. It's so good Beautiful. in terms of writing. Exactly, not the writing is so good, not in terms plot. of plot. plotting. Yeah. It's not good in terms and of pacing. plotting or pacing. But the but writing like, is definitely really good. It felt like reading poetry that was trying to be a book, kind exactly. of. Exactly. Like, I think, the best poetry ever, but... <laughs> I think that's because of the nature of the subject of the book, which is poets. Yeah, actually. Like, this honestly is such because, a cool yeah. background of the whole book to, like... I think everyone wants to imagine, like, living in high-class poets where you're right near the exactly. nobility. Like, that is such a fun thing. But I felt like you didn't... I didn't personally get the atmosphere of that. Like, I felt like it could have been executed a bit better. But that may be because I'm a bit unversed in, you know, Indian nobility and the whole history. And what you got to remember is, at the end of this book, it's revealed that it's um, Nafis that's writing this book 30 years later. So that's why it's so poetic. Anyway. Yeah. So then it basically follows Nafis through the next few years of her life until she's about 20, I think, is the vibes I'm getting from this. But she and Chapla basically... So Chapla lives in Kashi, um, which is not in Delhi, where <laughs> uh, Nafis lives. At least I think they live in Delhi. I mean... To be honest, I did not know, but, like, if it's near, like, the main rulers and stuff, yeah. then it'd so probably they, be Delhi. They live in Shah Jahanbad, or near it, which is Old Delhi, which is different than New Delhi, which is the current capital. So, Old Delhi is basically, like, the historical area of Delhi. And in this book, it's called Shah Jahanbad, and they live near that. So, I was right. I, <laughs> my many years of reading yeah. history have paid off. <laughs> Well, so yeah um yeah so they start writing letters to each other which is very romantic um and they write like poetry back and forth to each other and they like talk and they literally don't kiss so it's yeah. not clear whether or not they're together not that kissing makes someone to together but it was very like it was a bit confusing yeah like i feel like, like at page the whole 31 thing... i made a note are these two together or question mark question exactly. mark question mark like the whole thing it was a lot of what's the word inferring but yeah. i was so confused that i didn't really get any of it and the thing is it's not like the whole society is interesting because everyone's pretty much bi kind of like everyone has or, bi vibes it's great exactly everyone Which has bi just vibes. proves homophobia is an implant from the west come on guys like literally it's interesting because it's just so casually mentioned all these like um mlm or wlw relationships and it's you know just like that yeah. the high the high poets were kind of like yeah it's chill man <laughs> also 
like mm-hmm. this book is so romantic because like Nafis is like you look very nice in a sari um and then Chepla's like I wore it for you she said and disappeared like <laughs> it's also then, very dramatic yeah. though so then there's some conflict as Chepla moves back and forth from different cities because she travels like in order to dance and yet we all know long distance is a little sketchy sorry folly i have hope <laughs> leave me alone um <laughs> anyway so they um so they just live their best poet lives and then, they like weirdly grow apart and stop giving yeah. letters so they, and then they get they rebounds but and they get I wasn't sure where their relationship ended or started so and it's kind so then Nafis unfortunately um so Chupla tells her that they should stop seeing each other basically through a letter through a letter which I would like to say I made a note it's the equivalent of dumping breakup over over text text. exactly (laughs) it's like the 1700s breakup over text um and no this is when they're like when what was when Nafis was visiting Chapla, so it's literally exactly. like being in the same room with someone and breaking up. So yeah, she left. Text. She left this time with many backward looks, dazed. I returned to our room and found a note on the pillow. We are too far apart. Even pigeons find it hard to fly that far. Let me go, little sparrow. I sat down, then lay down, pierced by more bullets than were needed to fell me. Like bro. <laughs> No, but I'm confused because so for the rest of the book they never get together again ever. Well, they do. They they meet again. They yeah they meet yeah. again, but they're never like that again. Yeah, but I think it's nice that they could reconcile. That is true, but it feels like the character gets like maybe two years of like, you know, passion, and then for the rest of the book it's just it's slow reconciliation as as they kind of like. Well, for the rest of the book, it's sad because Nafis is still chasing after Chapla for, like, what, 30 years? And then the book ends when she, like, does not feel anything for Chapla besides, like, just friendship. And then by that point, everyone's dead. And it's, I know, this book, it, it was depressing we'll to me. Okay. So basically, after they break up, to jump back in time a little bit, um, they, uh, Nafis descends into alcoholism to try and like deal with the emotion she feels um and, and she starts drinking a lot and i was still surprised though because i feel like the whole drinking thing it didn't stir emotion in me to be honest like it was just said that she kept having glasses and then one of her friends was like don't do that and then like after a year nadira was like don't do that and she was like sure because I think, because, okay, around the same time that they broke up, Nadira's, who's yeah, she her had best friend, had a kid. And basically, Nadira and Nafis co-parent this child for the rest of their lives. To the point where She calls her, kid, like, Mimi, Ami, right? Ami. Ami, which is it's mom, but she also calls Nadira mom. So, like... They're not together. They're like sisters, but they're basically raising this child together because Nadira's husband died. Unclear. Um, 
I really forgot Nadira had a husband. I'm gonna be honest yeah. here. She went I'm... to Hyderabad, which Hyderabad yeah, gang moved. rise up. Hyderabad gang rise up. <laughs> she um, moved for five years and then she came back and then Yeah, Wait. because her husband died or he was died. Abusive, or someone else died and then No, didn't the husband he run away with his first wife or something? Or was that someone else? I have no idea. This book is confusing. It was very confusing, but I really love how in the whole thing, so firstly, throughout the whole book, um, Nafis admits like years later, yeah, I mean, everyone knew me and Chapla were together. I don't know why we tried to hide it when it was so obvious and no one exactly. even minded. And then, but that doesn't change like how other people interact with Nafis at all. Exactly. Like they don't view it as like, oh, I have to stay away from, from you now. You could be attracted to me. No, you're friends, you um, know? Yeah. So yeah. It's really nice. It's nice. So basically, while Nafis and Nadira are raising this kid together, they take on more and more responsibility um, in the like dance troupe. So basically, they they the the two there's a specific name for it, but I don't remember. It starts with a K. Kota. Kota. So. Um, they just start their own. Yeah, there's two kotas, Matanapas, and then Nafis's mom. Um, and like, and there are two buildings the right next to each other. And the kotas, kotas are like the groups of performers. Yeah, they're the groups of performers, yeah. the court entertainers, dancers, poets, etc. Um, so basically, Nadira takes over Matanapas and. Nafis takes over her mom's and then they buy another building and they basically run their own business for the rest of their lives together. Like even when she's a kid, Nafis is doing the accounts and stuff for her mom's business. And then Nadira helps her. And I think it's really nice how like she didn't get married or whatever. She just started running a business. yeah actually like go her girl boss exactly (laughs) so then we go 30 years almost and then chapla and nafis literally never meet each other until finally one day they meet at a performance and they sort of reconcile and they start becoming friends again. They start writing letters to each other again, but they're not. You romantic. know, Folly, this kind of reminds me of the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, except it's like a different ending, and it's like they both start off from the same point, but they like slowly go in two very different directions. Exactly. Like, I don't so. know. It's 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 like a soft yeah. cry. This whole book to me. But I kind of like it because it really, it shows the progression of a good relationship. You know what I mean? Not romantic, but a friendship that developed from something deeper. I know, but, I but like it kind of. were able to come together and that. Yeah. But that friendship took necessarily... like. Well, of course the friendship's going to take a long it, time. It took like 30 years. But there were so many hurt feelings, which explains that. But it really shows it's never too late to like reconcile. That is true. Like it gives some hope that maybe one day someone you loved, you won't like feel 
that way for them or that you're missing them if you're not in a romantic relationship. Like, so, yeah. I like how it's poetic. The issue is, by the end of all of this, it's just completely, like, overwhelmed. <laughs> well, I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed because everyone else in the book, like, almost died, practically. Like, didn't yeah, Kishen but, die? Yeah, everyone. All okay, of the poets so... slowly died, slow, horrible yeah. deaths from either it the British. Slow, horrible deaths. It was a natural One of them was death. literally knock- locked in his house, beheaded. It okay, was... It one of brutal. them, okay. One of them was beheaded. One of them was exiled. That's not all of them. The rest died natural, happy deaths. You're making no, this too dramatic. No, literally, one of them was found on the street singing a verse, looking unrecognizable. Yeah, that no was one the left one that in was, his life. That was the one that was exiled. That one. Then sad. there was one who was stuck in his house because he accidentally offended the Nawab for the next that's, rest that's, of his life. That's the same person, Rio. You're talking no. about the same person. It's How the did same he leave person. his house then? <laughs> because he was dying and delirious. He died this, the next day. Remember? It's, uh, the actual, You're talking about the same person. I, the actual continuation of life is depressing, and this book did that well, but it but, was depressing. I mean, it talked about the realities of life, and I like that. Yeah. I mean, so. like, I think if this book did, like, a good job at something, it did show how, like, just life progresses and how you wouldn't see yourself doing this, like, the five-year younger you, but it's where you are. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so the book <laughs> ends sort of the Hobbit style. <laughs> I was so confused. So. starting to write the book. I mean, it ends right at the moment. Actually, okay, the ending is kind of cool. I did like it. Not well, I thought it when was I ra- first. I thought it was random. It was a I bit random. Like I was going to say that. When it first ended, like I was like, "Wait, that's it. There's no more." And then when I went back, it was interesting because A, the author finally decided to show that Nafis just doesn't feel that spark anymore for Chapla and they're really good friends now. And she ended it by saying, let's finally go to Kashi. Kashi? And throughout the entire book, Nafis has never gone there, right? Yeah. Did you go there Kashi, once? Kashi is a theme because... Yeah, it's a theme, about themes that make our English teachers proud. <laughs> so, Kashi is a city that I will now Google the location of. Not Kashi in Huntington, New York. Thank you. Gosh, but throughout yeah. the entire book, at the beginning when they were like really in love, um, okay. Chapa so, asks. Kashi is now Varanasi. It's in okay. Uttar, it's in Uttar Pradesh, oh. and it was regarded as the spiritual capital of India, and it drew pilgrims who bathed in the uh, Ganga. Ganga. The the Ganges. <laughs> Bali, you said that with such an American accent. <laughs> Well, you can't say Ganges the in an Ganges. Indian accent. You can't say Ganges in an Indian accent. It's the I Ganga. Mean, I guess. Yeah, but it is the Ganga. Anyway. <laughs> so, I now remember I have actually been to Varanasi. <laughs> um, not me remembering I've been to a holy city randomly while Googling it on the internet. So Kashi sort of does represent this pilgrimage area for Nafis and Chapla throughout the whole book. Do you want to start with that as our first theme? Yeah. 
It okay. starts, yeah, so that's where Tiapla is from. And it starts off because when they're really passionate for each other, there's this kind of running thing that during their like wildest moments, they're like, why don't we just go and live together in Kashi or in like Delhi or somewhere? But the thing is, Nafis never goes to Kashi. Exactly. It's too painful or something. Like every yeah. time, and every time Chapla leaves, she goes back to Kashi. So Kashi for Nafis came to represent the sort of unattainable forever with uh, Chapla that she really wanted but couldn't have um, because Chapla had to keep traveling for work and to like make money to live and stuff because food is good for you. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and basically this whole unattainable thing it sort of comes to represent something almost holy because throughout the book, Nafis worships Chapla, right? Like, absolutely worships her. She can do no wrong. So I think it's really interesting that the author conflated this holy city with this holy person. And ultimately, in the end, when Nafis is finally able to see Chapla as a person and, like, um, leave that sadness of not being together behind and everything that she's able to go take this pilgrimage to Kashi. Yeah. All right. Or so do you want to talk about the, no, I think that was wonderful. Okay. That was very yeah, and just like a, of you. Another like quick little <laughs> aside. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually they compare themselves so they compare themselves to the Ganga and the Gumti meeting. So, so, so the Gumti River, it's a tributary of the Ganga. And let me figure out where they meet. No, didn't they say the Gangti and the Gomtha? And they like said, don't do this other thing? Like, yeah. So know, something. So the Gumti meets the Ganga in Varanasi, which is Kashi. Kashi is the historical name. It's now called Varanasi. So I think that's really cool because. Okay, that she, is. Yeah, she compares. Nafis compares Chapla to the Ganga and herself to the Gumti. And the Ganga is the main river, the holy river, and the Gumti is a tributary of that. And basically, she's saying that she feeds into Chapla. And sort of like revels in that divineness because the Ganga represents like a really holy, like cleansing. When you step into the Ganga, you cleanse yourself and you're one with like the gods. And even the Gomti says it can wash away sins. Exactly. So she washes away her sins and her shortcomings and everything bad about her. And then meets her in Kashi. With being with Chapla, and she meets her in Kashi, the place that like is sort of centered around them that's their city and it's like their holy meeting place i, I think is really poetic wow. I think okay author, that was poetic i think the author did a lot of like um research like research this is this. crazy research yeah. like it was it's it's really beautiful <laughs> and i mean kashi itself is a beautiful city it's golden there's like 
this place where you can bathe in the Gungo, which I've done. Um, it's now filled with trash. Don't do that anymore. But <laughs> it used to be a beautiful uh, river. And yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful golden city. And it's dedicated to Shiva, the god. So I'm looking through the articles of Parvati and Shiva, and I just saw one that's titled Five Times Shiva and Parvati Gave Us Couple Goals. Oh my god. <laughs> Are you kidding me? People it's really... the worst thing I've ever seen. But yeah. Varanasi, guys. Amazing. Like, like we said, this book has pacing issues. But it's poetic. It's so poetic. Yeah. So do we want to talk about the violent colorism in here or? Yeah, let's talk about the colorism. Throughout the entire book, like whenever it's described as like making a character seem very beautiful and it's always said, oh, their skin was so translucent, translucent that you could see the water running through them or the blood coming up. And like, people who are described as beautiful have usually cream colored next to them whereas you know there's a bit of like people with darker skin aren't mentioned or even but the author does this to like show the violent colorism because it really is an issue and but like and then i think it's funny that this colorism exists with also this quote on page 38 Mm, white skins most unattractive like, it's just such a weird thing because no one wants to be English, but they're also living up to these beauty standards of being lighter. Exactly. But the thing is, that's existed, has existed before colonialism. Um, I mean, it did, but in a more North v. South sort of thing, because North Indianers yeah. tend to be lighter skinned than South Indianers. And there's yeah. also been conflict because... North India has a very different culture than South India. It's almost like there were different countries before the British. Ooh. <laughs> Honestly, though, it's just so cool how the author highlights how, like, every state is, like, a different country. I've already gone over this, but during the book, there's, like, a passage where um, the main character is trying to help make a book with all the names. And I feel like this is just the author paying tribute to, like, how literally every single word is intermingled and yeah, like, has like, so many different roots. Doing, they're doing a study of like different words and they're talking about like language and stuff. And Nafis is asking, so should we do like the Bengali? Should we add Bengali words? Should we add Hindi, Farsi, all this stuff? Because in the book, they're speaking Farsi. That's established. Yeah. Um, And Urdu, which is a mix of Farsi Hindi, and Hindi. Yeah. Urdu, which is a mix of Farsi and Hindi, and is spoken in Pakistan, um, is just being developed because Pakistan and Bangladesh don't exist yet. It's Bengal. Um, And then Hindi as a language doesn't really, it exists, but it's not solidified. Sanskrit is still spoken. Like it's a really interesting time linguistically because on top of all of these, you then have the British English, mixed in and then you have the regional languages and dialects and i think it was a really interesting study on language that i don't think was expanded yeah. on enough 
Yeah, I feel like this whole book has like a few themes, themes because of the interesting historical background that are touched upon because they're great, but it's also so hard to keep that going throughout the whole book because of how big a thing it is. Exactly. So yeah. I think the author was definitely like interested in linguistics and the language at the time and how it was And wanted to add that in, but it also seemed kind of like reading a tangent in the middle of a book at times. Because this book is not even 160 pages long. Including the cover and all the endnotes, it's 160 pages. The actual book is maybe 150. Yeah, and that doesn't seem like enough to cover all that at all. Exactly. I feel like of a lot of the books that we cover that have like minorities or interesting backgrounds never like have enough pages to describe just how like yeah because like yeah. once again this is this is one of the few books that covers this topic so it has to cover everything you know yeah like they feel like they have to cover everything because they've never seen another book cover what they're talking about yeah like if you have a book between like let's just say the modern age two white lovers like okay you know all the background it's there it's simply there but with all this there's just so much more complexity and you don't have like you need to put all that in because we don't have that kind of representation there exactly and you know what i think is really interesting Uh, do you want to say anything Mm -hmm. more about linguistics or can i move on to another oh no move on okay Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting how they sort of combine Muslim and Hindu culture. And I don't know if they did that on purpose. Because Nafis is a Muslim name. But she's constantly talking about Hindu holidays and stuff. And her parents are shown as Hindu, I think. Yeah. drinking alcohol. Wait. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And if, in case you guys don't know, um, you can't drink alcohol if you're like a strict Muslim. Like a lot of Muslims yeah. don't drink alcohol. Um, like, but if, if you're was... Hindu, you can get as sloshed as you want. So, yeah, <laughs> feel free to get wasted. Yeah, <laughs> and then Chapla is a Hindu name, and they're celebrating holy at one point in the book, and they yeah. also practice polygamy, which, to be fair, I think was more common. Yeah, it was more common even among Hindus. Yeah. Um, and then at one point, one of the poets pretends to be a, um, like, basically a priest. And he, like, says prayers and stuff to confuse the villagers. Like, it's a very nice, but then again, they're living in Shah Jahanbad, or nearby, uh, which is a Muslim city. And they're under, they work for the Nawab, who's a Muslim prince. And there's, like, Muslim characters who are, like, clearly Muslim. They do prayers and stuff as Muslims. And I think it's a really interesting blend of the two religions that just, it doesn't focus on religion. Like, it shows that they are religious, but they just sort of coexist. It kind of just highlights how mixed everything was and how there weren't really separate borders between everything at the time. Because exactly. all of these different people were just coalescing at this like very cool point of history. And I think that's very cash money of them. <laughs> very cash money. Yeah. Because like, ultimately they work for the Nawab. So they put their differences aside to just make nice art. 
And I think yeah. that should be the goal of all humans. It's very nice. Put down those guns. Pick up a paintbrush. <laughs> be the Bob Ross you want to see in the world. It's the most 1960s thing I've ever heard. Thank you. <laughs> I Anyways. love the hippies. <laughs> but, um... I mean, going back... Didn't you want to discuss the socio-political context or something? I did already. <laughs> I'm not going that into depth in- to it. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting, though, because, like, you see this whole thing where Nafis is considered on the high end of people. Like, I think there's one line where she's talking with Sharad, and he says, wow, imagine getting, like, three grand or something a month. And then she's like, oh, well, she thinks, oh, we make triple that, but I'm, I'm not going to say that. And it's, there's, like, a wealth discrepancy there at some points, considering she's literally like, oh, I just have to walk down to the market, but I'll use the palaquin because, oh, poor guys, they need work. And then she talks about how she's in one of the, well, parts of, uh, well, old Delhi, I guess, that didn't get a drought and was able to use water. And I feel like there's very much implied, like, Nafis is considered kind of... She's not... definitely upper class. Yeah, there's no definitely like about it. very upper class. But I'm still a bit confused because isn't everyone around her upper class, but Sharad wasn't? Okay, so Sharad basically he's from like a poor village, from what I gathered. Um, he's from a poor village and he came and he's like a poet, but he's like he doesn't have much wealth to his name, but the what's it called? Kota? Kota? Yeah. The, you know, group of the women performers. Basically. Takes joins him, in, kind of. And they take care of him. But personally, he doesn't have a lot of wealth. I mean, he does gather it as his life goes but on. Like, but, like, by young, the end of the book, he just kind of lives on a farm. Yeah, he has, like, his own house. It's, it's, it's chill. Yeah, really, I really do like, actually, his character, though. Yeah. Can we talk about the poetry? Okay, the poetry. Oh my god. This, it was beautiful. It was. Yeah. So there was a a bunch of poems. There are so many poems in this. Throughout the um, book. And basically, all of these poems are in the form of a gazel, which. According it's kind of like Google, a song, right? Yeah, according to a Google, it's a form of an amatory poem or an ode originating in Arabic poetry. So it's a poetic oh. expression of both the pain of loss or separation and the beauty of love in spite of that pain. So it's basically made up of an odd number chain of couplets where each couplet is an individual poem. So basically, think of three stanzas. Each stanza is its own individual poem, but they all have the same sort of tie-in. I'm now going to try and write one of these poems because I have one that I think will fit. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so, but they're the has best. A ref- yeah, and then it has yeah. like a refrain of one to three words that repeat, and then a rhyme, and it's really cool. 
and I want to write one now. But <laughs> the poetry is just beautiful. Obviously, it makes more sense in Hindi because it actually rhymes in Hindi. Yeah. Um, but if you don't understand Hindi, they're translations of the poems. Let me see if I can find one. Here, um, actually, I have my. I'm gonna read out my, like my favorite poem from this entire thing. What so, page is it on? It is on page ninety. Okay. It's the one where basically after a day where um, Nafis and Chapla were on a boat together when they were still like in love. And basically they were just kind of like having the time of their lives there. And then two other poets who are like MLM see them. And then, hey, it's sweet. Did, did you just blast into the mic, Wally? What? No, never mind. I just heard like, pfft. but anyways. So oh, basically- I might have accidentally blown into the mic. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But anyways, <laughs> um, so one of them basically writes a poem about it after they saw Nafis and Chapla share veils, which is like seen as kind of exchanging love, kind of? Yes. So the poem goes, on full moon night, a small cloud arose out in the or, flower no, garden. No, no, no. Real quick, what? real quick. It's not yeah. them that exchanged. It's the other two. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, not the Mir- guys. Mir Insha, who's a poet, and Rangan Sahib, who's also a poet. Mir Insha, both of these two, I think, are real people. Yeah, I'm pretty, all the male poets are real people. Yeah. So they've exchanged turbans, basically, which I think is just marriage, but not quite. Yeah. You know, wait, aren't turp turp? That's interesting though, because that's a sick thing, but they're kind of established as not being exactly that. More well, Hindu. I think it's also a Rajput thing. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because Sikh culture, and I think it's um, very close. It's very close to Rajasthani culture. Yeah. But, anyways, on to the poem. On full moon night, a small cloud arose. Out in the flower garden, I saw a wonder. A shimmering veil of lightning over the moon, a cloudy veil of fine fabric fluttering. They seemed to me two fairies close together. One drew near, cast her shadow over the other. Flowers perfume said they've exchanged veils today. Lady Moonlight has become Lady Lightning's sister. It's so so pretty. It is. And it's so interesting because, yeah. yeah, Chapla means. Lightning, lightning right yeah, yeah. so that's and Nafis, lady lightning. her name means moon isn't that chan is her real name chandra who nafis no. because no nafis is a is a name no didn't wasn't a nickname though <laughs> um yes but i don't think her real name would be chandra if her nickname was nafis mm. Then something about it translates to moonlight, considering all the poems in which she says the moon. I think they just nicknamed her moonlight because of her complexion. I think that was what it was. Oh yeah, that's true. Because she's like dark, but shining like the moon. Yeah. I vaguely remember something like that. (laughs) Yeah. That is very pretty. Um, It's very pretty. So, one of my favorites um it's on page 53 all right so throughout the book there's this like theme of like fairies oh yeah and and, like magic almost because um 
Jopla and Nafis met at a fairy ceremony. So this is so basically Chapla in the scene is performing at a dance and Nafis was supposed to read this one poem, but she read another one that's sort of written as a love poem between two women. Um, and it's really sweet. So my Zeneki is the kind of red fairy, the sight of whom makes languid any fairy, that swelling bosom, magnificent breasts, fairy born with the beauty of a fairy. A comb pulled back, loosely coiled tresses, locks like a female cobra, a black-haired fairy. Her eyebrows captivating, her neck unique, all her features perfect, her gait a fairy's. Fine teeth, blackened with magical lines, elegant lips, words and ways of a fairy. She speaks well and gets annoyed well, her laugh incomparable, her, her melancholy a fairy's. Her rings a picture, fish-shaped earrings brilliant, her glass bangles green, hands a red fairy's, nine gem necklace and pendant gorgeous, nose ring breathtaking, gold bead bracelets a fairy's. And I think it's very, it's a very magical sort of poem. Yeah. And this is like the height of their love story. So it's very sweet and romantic. And I like it. That That's it. At times, though, I got to say, I feel like there was so much subtext in here about their relationship that it felt like too much subtext, you know? Do you want to talk about the actual text? Well, what about the actual text? The, 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 the text part of the relationship. Yeah. I, okay, I'm going to start out. This was not my favorite book, but to be honest, I'm, I'm going to go into a different tangent before I get to that. I feel like this entire book could have just been written as a collection of poems or letters exchanged between them with maybe yes. a few paragraphs of like explaining and between that and that because this author would has amazing prose they would have been amazing with like short sections like sectioned off with organization and then telling the story over 30 years that would have been like i think ah. that would have been beautiful that would have been beautiful because this it has all the elements but it's not organized and like i said earlier it feels like a run-on sentence but ah. okay but anyways the actual text of their relationship, it's kind of like, um, well, it is beautiful the way like the author portrays like, what's the word, yearning, but, and it is, but I feel like what happens is basically they have like yearning, they get really close, and then they like run away from each other, and this happens until they like don't, and then the author always cuts off like right after she's saying like, what was that? Like, usually she just said, I pulled, I think when the lines was, and Nafis, I pulled Chapla to the floor. And then it's like assumed something happened. Exactly. But that happens every single time. Like, for example, one of the first instances where they kiss, like, there's one, like, actual kiss kiss, like the first time they kiss. But I forgot to note down that page. Um, so then another time, like page 84, um, they're like, like Chapla 
gave her a kit, uh, note and then kissed her and then left. And like this whole fate to black thing, it seems very, very, um, fantasy mythical, like sort of magical misty. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, that is true. Like there's like, just leave it up to the author. There's a lot of emphasis placed on dreams because oh yeah like Nafis constantly talks about like that was the first time or the last time we kissed but really was it because in my dreams and aren't dreams like living memory and like what if we could share dreams like yeah it's an there's an emphasis on dreams that i think contributes to the dreamlike state of this prose and I think it's even more contributed to by the constant push of that fairy and the holy city of Gashi and just it's golden. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing just screams kind of like this aura where you can kind of get washed away and yeah. how it's, it's like pristine it is. It's an aesthetic dreaminess that this book has. And I think it's an interesting quality because I think, the whole living seems yeah. more like a dream than the dreams. Exactly. And I think the pacing of the book really contributes to that. So if the author meant to do it, hats off to uh, them. because Actually, yeah, because then it seems less like reality, just how things progress. Because exactly. the focus is more on the time in which, you know, you feel things strongly while the rest of it just smiles away. Exactly. So I think that if the author did this on purpose they're a genius and if they did it yeah. by accident they're really lucky because <laughs> this book is really a book that you can't read once and then put down you have to sort of mull it over and analyze yeah it i would have like just yeah just analyzing it with you is making me appreciate it so much more yeah no same like i honestly did not pick up on a lot of the symbolism and the idea of like how like cool the whole background is and it honestly adds to this feeling that maybe chapla herself was just dream a goddess exactly wow so okay bringing it back to i know i said actual like <laughs> yeah. mentions of oh, the actual relationship text. shall we talk about the mango okay wait but before that i think we should also consider that if this was published in india Maybe the other could not exactly put some things into the text. This is true. Yeah, I think that may also contribute to like how we complain that there's a lot of subtext when really, if it was anything more than subtext, maybe uh, I don't know if this would have gotten published. Yeah. The mango scene. So, or actually just one more thing about the dreams. Mm -hmm. Like This is a quote from page 99. When we talked about dreams and the philosophers who say that life is a dream from which we will wake up, Champa, she told me, could direct her dreams, could pick up and continue a dream she had had the night before. If we could do, all do that, would there be no difference between a dream and life? She smiled wryly. Only if we all had the same dream. So, like that idea of dreaming versus life and how there's the same but also different it's continued throughout the book it really does add to like that effect that this is like a dreamy life of a poet exactly 
Um, I so, yeah. keep saying that this book is my favorite, but I'm, I'm just talking over with you. It's growing on me. So, <laughs> but anyways, the mango scene. Okay. So first, what page is that on? Page one hundred. <laughs> um, so they're talking about mangoes, right? And then, uh, Chumpla is like, Gashi's mangoes are sweet, like honey, golden. So, like Chapla, the mangoes are sweet, uh, honey-like, golden, you know, dream-like, you know what I mean? Floaty. Yeah. Versus, um, Nafis is like, uh, they're too sweet, ours have a dash of sourness to set off the sweet. So, um, oh, Nafis is more down is the to- the city of dreams. And, uh, Delhi is where the actual book happens. So throughout the yeah, whole book, where everything's kind of, of imperfect. Yeah, they're dreaming oh of Kashi, God. but the reality they have is Delhi, and Nafis is also down to earth. She, um, she's living in the real world. You know what I mean? That's why she doesn't dream as much of like she's too confused how to exactly get the logistics of moving exactly. in with Chapla in Kashi. And I thought that's I thought where the sourness talk about- and the weediness <laughs> comes in. I oh love analysis, guys. I thought you were just going to talk about the really bad um, sex joke after oh, that. We're, we're going to talk about that, too. But oh, okay. Can you tell I want to be an English major, but I'm afraid that I'll make no money? <laughs> Can you tell that I want to be an English major, but my parents don't pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like... Like, just these constant metaphors and comparisons between the two and the two cities and the two people and the dream world and the real world. It's amazing. And then we have the bad sex joke. Rhea, do you want to read the bad sex joke? I don't... How come you got the really beautiful literary literary (laughs) analysis piece and I got the bad joke? Okay, fine, I'll read it. Lundra's a rounder. They fit nicely into your hand. You seem to be doing pretty well, fitting ours into your hand. That's because I'm good at it. Watch. She picked up another and slowly began pressing a thumb and two fingers upward from its base to its peak, her eyes transfixing mine. When she pinched off the end and began sucking, her her wide mouth half smiling through the juices, I was thankful I'm not fair enough for a flush to be noticed. Though everyone else squatting around the bucket was too absorbed to care. I'm blushing from that. But anyways. <laughs> it's so bad. This is just the peach scene from Call Me By Your Name too. <laughs> Stop it. The Indian one oh. has <laughs> Okay, but like Eating mangoes is not that sexy when you eat it the Indian way. You get juice like all over you. Oh my and god, it's like so mango messy. fibers in your teeth. Exactly. It, it's, like it's 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 hard. It's it's hard. This is but... why I eat it with a fork like a white person. Oh my god, Folly. <laughs> <laughs> why would you eat a mango with a fork? Well, oh. obviously you cut the mango into pieces and you eat the pieces with a fork, so you so don't get awful, juice though. on your hand. Yeah, but the my juice hands is the only stupid. way to do it. With dignity. You can't do it with a fork. Yes, you can. No, this brings about the worst dichotomy. Oh, God. I sound like a pretentious English major. Because 
We're you, well past you, that point. <laughs> if you eat it with just your bare hands, sure, you look unruly, but you don't look like a savage because that's the way to eat it. You eat it with a fork, Folly, that is disgraceful. You're disgraceful. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> um, so immediately after this, they literally uh, get drunk and then have sex. Oh, yeah. And then this is where she's like... Um, kneeling before her and then jumping up to rearrange her clothes at the sound of Dada's footsteps on the stairs. No, no one was deceived. I realized <laughs> later. They went along with our masquerade, perhaps not deeming it important enough to interrupt. It's the funniest part, though. Important. Was that the right word? Was that the word I wanted? Uh, I know. I just find that super funny how, like, they're trying to hide it when everyone's basically buying the book. Exactly. <laughs> Like, it's such a youthful thing, almost. But, like, being, like, embarrassed about all that when no one really cares. <laughs> uh, the actual part of the relationship is cute. It is kind of cute. And, and once again, um, so, to bring the rivers back, like, earlier they compared themselves to Ganga and Gomti. Now... At the height of the, the relationship, they're comparing themselves to Gumta, uh, Ganga and Yamuna meeting. So, Yamuna. Do you know what page that's on? Yes, it's like page 103, the end, to 104. All right. So, the Yamuna is the second largest river. It's the second largest tributary of the Ganga and the longest tributary in India. The Ganga is the main river in India. Everything connects to the Ganga. Oh, this is the part I was thinking of earlier. Why does she say, uh, don't say that it should be Ganga and Gomthi? Um, because the Yamuna has symbolism. So, but what kind of symbolism? Okay. Yeah, I'm also looking at it. Okay, Yamuna River, okay. India. So, it's a tributary as well. Yeah. It's the second largest tributary. And okay. so we've mentioned that the Gomti can wash away sins, but the Yamuna, um, it represents love. So it also, all holy rivers in India wash away sins. That's the thing. But it's considered a symbol of love because krishna and who's one of our the hindu gods and his childhood like playmate radha who like loved each other they played on the banks of the yamana so but that's weird though because the ganga and the yamana meet at praya i'm not i'm gonna butcher this and i'm indian prayajkraj let me see I feel embarrassed saying it. Okay, Prayagraj. Prayagraj. They don't meet in Kashi then. They meet in Alabad. Huh. Which is probably just a different pra yeah, Prayag. Near oh Alab yeah. Which is the place uh, which where is near Alabad. Well that's where the Ganga Yamana yeah. and Swarash they meet. So, oh, the mythical Swarashti. So maybe that adds into yeah, the whole so idea the mythical, of... So the Saraswati River. Yeah. Um, 
So the Saraswati, the Yamuna, and the Ganga, the three holiest rivers, meet. Okay, I just like to deviate a little bit, a little tangent here. <laughs> so when I was a child, my sister and I watched this DVD called Krishna. Um, and it was like a bunch of like animated versions of the myths, like the Krishna myths when he was growing up, not after he conquered his uncle, like his evil uncle, but before that. Um, and in it, there's this one time where he he's basically trying to fill a pool of water for some reason. I don't remember why. And all seven of the holy rivers of India appear as like spirits and they like put their water into the pool so he and his friends can play because he did something holy earlier and they're like rewarding him and then i the second i said saraswati the voice of the saraswati river saying i am the saraswati goddess of whatever and then she jumps into the pool it just bounced into my head did you cannonball yes they all did yeah that that that's my that's my tangent i just wanted to bring that up i grew up on barney um (laughs) i grew up on indian cartoons and religion (laughs) i mean (laughs) yeah but yeah but i mean talking with the i can't say this way okay saraswati yeah so that just combines (laughs) With the whole yeah. idea of how of it's mystical. And but holiness. Yeah, no, because it's mythical, right? Yes. I have no idea why it's mythical, but it is. Um, because the Ganga and the Yamuna and the Saraswati all have like religious meanings. And they're does... all related to our own myths and legends. Yeah. I um, know, but it all kind of adds up to how... Ch- Chapla seems kind of less human throughout the entire book and then the time apart becomes more of her being a flawed per not really flawed at all because that doesn't happen but more of just how nafis has to change that idea exactly so i think she says ganga and yamuna meeting not ganga and gompi because the ganga and yamuna are both holy while the gompi sort of shaped around the Ganga, you know what I mean? Like, it's a symbol yeah, of how Nafi saw her as kind of a little less and just shaping into the perfection that was Chapla. While Chapla saw them as equals and the fact that Nafis couldn't understand that they were equals sort of led to the end of the relationship. Wow. Because Wow. Okay. Because Chapla says you're so literal-minded. We are Ganga and Yamuna meeting. Now don't say that it should be Ganga and Gomti. And then, was that our last moonlit night together? The last that I remember. We lay, tossing plans and fantasies back and forth, while the moon scurried between rusty clouds, now covering his face, now revealing it. And they make all these plans. Wait, they were going to make the plan to buy up the Kota. But yeah. she eventually ended up doing that with Nadira. Exactly. And then they're talking about um, all of these dreams and stuff. And then 
And then, oh, it's a huge shift because then in the next paragraph, they talk about in Delhi, the next round of disasters is beginning, showing how it grounds them. Exactly. Because and- all everything that happens is basically like just a reaction to the historical events that did happen in Delhi because it was kind of the capital in how the emperor was going no, it's, kind it's of the capital. Yeah. The it's all the old capital. There's something there, right? It's old Delhi. And then after independence, the capital was moved to New Delhi. All right. And old yeah. Delhi still exists. It's just like the historical district. Huh. Hmm. So another thing, like a dichotomy between the two. So this is coming back to religion, but in Indian, like in Hinduism, gods are portrayed as either blue or gold. So like dark or light, you know, they either have a sun-like complexion or a moon-like complexion. So like the god Krishna and Vishnu, um, they're blue, which is they have a moon-like complexion, while Shiva, Shiva has a golden complexion, but his throat is blue because of the poison he drank and brahma is gold you know so there's um there's a sun a moon and then a combination of the two and every god and goddess is either a sun or a moon right you get what i'm saying yeah so this is also portrayed in this book because chepla is constantly described as golden always and um Malfis is always described as silver moonlight moonlight complexion moonlike complexion like she's one's the sun the other's the moon together they're goddesses and at the same time though chapla is kind of seen as like lightning though because exactly. just of the way that she's so exciting but while mm-hmm. Nafis is more reserved and kind of the dark side exactly okay (laughs) and nafis as the name it means precious or exquisite like precious gem and that whole thing just kind of plays into how she sees you know chapla as something that's like exciting tantalizing Exactly. Well, she sees herself as boring, but really she's kind of like this gem. Wow. Just the layers, this author, the layers. Nice to know that my obsessive uh, learning about the Hindu religion when I was a child paid off. (laughs) My ability to analyze this gay book. (laughs) My grandparents would be proud. Wow. <laughs> so um, I think we went over all the themes. Do you want to go over representation? Um, I mean, real quick, I just want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about the clock watch, the clock ring? Yeah, is, so that's just symbolizing kind of how they're running out of yeah. time. So page 108. But there so must be is, more like. Yeah, so this is during the tail end of the relationship. Basically, um, Nafis gives... Uh, Chapla, a ring, like a ruby ring that is, um, what's it called? 
Uh, it's like it's, a small a ring from Switzerland, but it has like yeah, a watch. It, it has it. a Swiss watch. And then on page 108, the watch stops working. They've run out of time. They've run out of time. And this is the end of the relationship. To be honest, I thought that there'd be a bit more. Okay, I gotta be honest. I thought there'd be a bit more symbolism, like it wouldn't be like that. And so I kept rereading that like, wait, is there something else I'm missing? You know? No. Maybe, I know, maybe that's just me. Because, I like, mean, the it's author... It's a really simple metaphor. Yeah, the issue is, after hearing this entire thing with the mangoes, with the rivers, <laughs> I'm like, the bar is set too high, I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> um, I just want to bring up one last thing before we talk about representation, and that's on page 91. All right. So, um, this is a quote. So they're talking about Christmas, um, and the quote is, We knew one of their maids who took us to her room and gave us that black cake with nuts that I don't like, but that everyone else adores. And I think this really, really symbolizes how utterly nasty fruitcake is, while Indian fruitcake is the best thing ever. <laughs> like seriously, Indian fruitcake, beautiful vanilla sponge with strawberries and peaches layered with cream and a creamy buttercream frosting. Uh, white people fruitcake, loaf with the density of a rock filled with bad dry fruit and crunchy nuts that choke your throat. <laughs> Which would you rather eat, people? <laughs> this has been a PSA. Try Indian fruitcake. It's delicious. Not me thinking you were going to try to make the cake a symbol or something. <laughs> Okay, wait. No, but <laughs> I think the real symbol is Indian oh, food is better. I found it. Okay, okay. The okay. thing above that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> you literally skipped the entire beautiful symbolic monologue about her name and went to your PSA. <laughs> about I think it's very talking. important. I did something very, very important. This was a vital, vital service. Anyway, I was literally so, like, okay. Here we learn about Shampo's name. Um, it's one of Lakshmi's names. Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth. Um, she doesn't stay long in one place, you know. She's called Chancho, the restless, the playful one. And it means That's fickleness. literally how Chapla keeps moving. Wine, the tongue. She stuck hers, unusually pliant, out at me, and then leaned forward to transfer a lychee to mine, and the warning slid away like juice down my throat. So she's literally saying, I am fickle, I am mischievous, I am restless, I will leave you. Pretty much. But the fruit and the beauty and the juice and the sweetness of the fruit that she's given. The sweetness that will stay, is given, but she will leave. And that sweetness washes away the warning. So Nafis ignores the warning because she wants the sweetness of the fruit. Oh my god, I didn't even realize. I kept looking over that. Like, what did she mean by, what did the author mean by warning? Wow, Polly. It's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I still can't believe that you directed me to page 91. And I'm like, oh, you're going to go over this. And you go to the fruitcake. <laughs> anyway. Okay. And okay, then anyways. on the next page, they have sex on the bottom of a kitchen floor.
<sighs> um, and then holy. Oh, what is the thing with the bodice in perfume? Is that another symbol? Is it a symbol of I how mean, sweet their relationship is and how it's intoxicating? Yes, but also I just think it's like to show again how rich they are. <laughs> oh yeah, that they can just waste perfume. Exactly. Yeah, that's I, I, I think that's less symbolism and more and more of literally just them like yeah, like their own going money. Exactly. Uh, oh, um, it's like that scene from The Great Gatsby, not to sound like an like an English major, where they just randomly start taking out clothes that probably took some poor guy like one one hundred hours to fold. Not Gatsby just eating shirts at Daisy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm literally just, I want to see someone make a comic where that's in the background, and then they just zoom out to the servant just watching them, like, exactly. Guys. <laughs> okay, so okay. I'm going to go to page 20, because I made a note that said fucking white men, and I want to know what I was thinking, because I wrote these notes at 2 a.m. <laughs> um, okay. Deer. Something to do with a deer. 20. Oh, it's just about Du Bois and him leaving his wife behind. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, polygamy in this, but also leaving others. I don't think the polygamy is necessary. Yeah, it doesn't really factor into that at all, to be honest. It's literally, like... It's more like white men just leaving their their Indian wives behind and going back to marry white women. Oh, yeah, that was... It's sort of using um, people of color and then tossing them away. And going back to the respectable white wives that they have. Okay. Okay. So I think, are we all set? I think we are all set. Yeah, representation. So just one last thing. Um, On page 148, we are introduced to three dogs. Manik. Um... Kalu, and of course, the quintessential Indian dog name, Moti. <laughs> so I have wait, met we have... so many dogs in India named Moti. It's, Moti. it's not... So Moti means... Fat. Yeah, and then Kalu means black. I don't know what Manik means. Me neither. I've never heard that, actually. Manik meaning... It generally means ruby or gemstone or light pink to blood red gemstone. So, considering there are no pink dogs, does that mean that this dog is just very, um... Red. <clears throat> it's probably a red dog. No. No. Well, not a red dog. Probably means he's very bloodthirsty, considering that Charad mentions that he bites people. Oh, that's true. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> See, this author, she knows how to do symbolism, but yeah. she does not know how to pace. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe like, just paste like other Indian books and we've just never read Indian books. Yeah, like, you know, I feel like if I saw an Indian drama right now, I'd say, oh, look at how weirdly overdramatic this is. You know oh that one God. gif? Yes. <laughs> the one gif where there are just 50 PowerPoint presentations or the other scene where it's like they're all in some living room and this girl's like falling down the stairs and it takes five <laughs> minutes for her to fall. I love Indian dramas. They're so funny. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about like specifically queer rep. Specifically, the two mentions of trans. 
of oh yeah for trans they mention how so, um, page 67 and 68 um, yeah so so first they're talking about the story of uh bunka begum begum basically means princess like yeah it's princess that that's it um yeah so bunka begum so here's the quote you haven't heard the story he lived in delhi at the time of emperor muhammad shah bands of robbers used to rove through the city preying on the weak robbing women of their jewels one day he dressed up as a lady and sat in a palanquin letting his arm hang out covered with gold bangles when the robbers attacked he sprang out and fought them he killed several single-handed the emperor called him to court and rewarded him he went dressed in his women's clothes and after that he always wore women's clothes and everyone called him bunka begum well i mean i mean i mean yeah i yeah. mean after yeah i know what to even say about that after that doesn't nephew's comment that she wish that or she'd never heard of like a woman wearing men's clothes and going out or something exactly yeah so i haven't done research on that story specifically but i feel like there is more to that considering like here do you want to do some last minute research that's what i'm doing right now (laughs) yeah i'll have to do some more research but that sounds really interesting and like a it's it's just I don't know. It's like, I feel like there's definitely more here to it that we're just not picking up exactly. on. Exactly. And I don't know if it's a real story or not, but if it's like is, nothing's showing up when I look at it, but exactly. But then again, the internet yeah. might not have the right sources. So I'm gonna do some yeah. reading. So the other and the other thing is then um Chapla looking up and for the Nafis, linguistics book, right? Yeah, Chapla Nafis they're talking about like the story and then Chapla's like men men have all the adventures they get to fight battles rule kingdoms and estates and still wear women's clothes if they want to i feel like a boy i'm tall like a boy and my face is long not round would you still like me if i were a boy so it has vibes yeah that it has the vibes of but is it more asking? I don't know what it's asking. But I think it's worth a mention because this is when they were like officially together, right? Exactly. Is it more asking like on the premise of like reincarnation and any of that about how if we're soulmates, would you not have cared? And then the fact that she said it's harder to think of her without that body, that it's kind of foreshadowing how they're not exactly soulmates in that sense. But that also feels wrong because throughout the entire book, it's more focused on their playful banter. Like they're more than just about the physicality of a relationship. They're about like talking. So it's signals are confusing. Mm. so do you want to talk about that linguistic thing 
I don't know what you're Oh yeah, when they're talking about the book, they mentioned um should we bring up any words? And I don't know the exact page, but they're basically saying how what about the woman who or the men who act like women or something? They were bringing up like you know, conversing gender roles and how people have those words in the language. And maybe this is the author's way of taking what's very clear is her love of linguistics and showing how certain things have been around forever and the fact that we don't see them today, such as men breaking gender roles, is because of colonization. That's what I'm getting from it, but it also could just be like, yeah, normalizing, you know, gender non-conforming people. Considering how there's like been an actual word for them. So yeah. That's pretty much it. I didn't really see anything else. Um, in terms of MLM representation, you have those two poets, um, the two male ones who were definitely actual poets, but I don't know, like, and then on top of that, no? I mean, there's MLM, WLW Solidarity, definitely with, yeah. um, what's his name? But you also have like Ratan and Sharad. Yeah. So Sharad, Ratan, in um mm-hmm. in Chisab, like there's a lot of Yeah, there's men. a lot of yeah, and like throughout the entire book it said like they catch the eye of both genders usually for Chapla. So Exactly. Yeah. And there's no homophobia. Yeah, it it was really nice. Uh, so, do you want to rate this book? Considering I think we're weirdly coming close to the two-hour mark. We are. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. This is this is gonna be a hell of an episode to edit. Um. <laughs> yeah. So I guess. Yeah, let's read this book. Yes. Uh, okay. I rate this book 7.5 metaphorical mangoes because, well, at first I honestly didn't like it, but after reading all this, it's starting to grow on me. And the symbolism is crazy. And by tomorrow, I'm definitely going to say, oh, wow, this is definitely like an 8.5 metaphorical mangoes or something. So maybe I should rate it that instead because. It's, yeah, I feel like, like it's one of those books that grows on you. Like, if anything, I read it now will be lower than what I think of it in, like, a week after, like, it's just churning around in my mind. So let's go for 8.5 to be on the safe side. Because I, it really is a beautiful book. I love the prose. I just wish that the organization had been better. The pacing different. Like, I think the author needed something that was more focused on short snippets, like the letters or poems. To describe it rather than a huge story. All right, what do you think? Um, I mean, there was definitely some issues with it 
specifically the pacing and the way timelines were put into it. So I can't give it like a 10, but the depth and thought that was put into this book was astounding after we did some analysis. (laughs) Um, So I have to give this a nine metaphorical metaphorical mangoes. (laughs) Like, this is this is a book you have to read twice to really get but once you get it you'll be amazed like you'll just sit there for a little bit so i mean then again i feel like you have to know some indian culture or like do some cursory wikipedia ing while you're reading the book otherwise you're not going to get everything but it's definitely worth that extra bit of effort to get the symbolism and the metaphors and the the motifs and the other English majory words. Yeah, I think it's cool because a lot of other like queer books, they focus on kind of the passion of it all. But this focused on the poetry of it, which is why I think it was a bit different to me. But it was like, like, you still had passion, but it was through poetry. The whole thing was poetic. And wow, honestly, I think, yeah, it's just a crazy book yeah <laughs> yeah it's a really good book yeah i read it guys it's it's worth the extra work it's yeah it is you need a bit of extra like knowledge and stuff to understand it but it really is worth it and hopefully we gave you like enough indian info if you didn't know about it already <laughs> um to really understand the book i mean i hope we're doing our job yeah i hope we are doing something here yeah to help people sort of understand the book a little bit deeper and just nerd out (laughs) yeah yeah um, (laughs) all right thank you for listening yeah thank you so much for listening to queerly ever after um you can find us on spotify and other than apple podcasts every other podcast network (laughs) and then Um, for social media we're on like instagram twitter Facebook, depending on Facebook. Facebook. Okay, Facebook, Facebook, um, Tumblr. And Tumblr. So on Instagram, you can find us as Queerly Ever After Podcast. You can also find us on Tumblr at Queerly Ever After Podcast. And we're on um, Twitter as Queerly Podcast. And we're also on Facebook as Queerly Ever After Podcast. And we also have a website, Queerly Ever After Podcast.weebly.com. And you can also contact us through email by sending us an email at Queerly Ever After Podcast at gmail.com. Um, so I yeah. think that is it. Yeah. And you can find me personally, um, Foxall2005, on everything. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, you can find me at a wild Rhea has appeared with dashes in between it on Instagram. I really worry that no one's gonna get the Pokemon reference when I say that. And um, a wild at- Jigglypuff has appeared. <laughs> yeah. Everyone gets it. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, and on Twitter as at Jazzy uh, Rhea. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Yeah. To thank us. you so much for listening Ramble to us. about metaphors and mangoes for. Yeah, really we try to sound like the English majors we hope to be. Yeah. It's going to be two hours, honestly. It's going to be two hours after <laughs> I edit it. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Have a great rest of your yeah. day. Of your time increment. 
whatever. <laughs> you you say this awkwardly every time. It's because I don't know what time zone the listeners are in. Okay? Well, have a nice su- oh my god, we can't even say summer. Um, have a nice year. Well, this will be released around December, I think. So, have a nice holiday season, guys. Yeah, let's I hope we got the timing right. <laughs> I hope us just saying this in <laughs> when it's released in January. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Anyways. Sign off. Sign off.